Last night, the Minnesota Wild beat the St. Louis Blues by a final score of 8-5. to five. Not the headline. The Minnesota Wild are second in the Central Division. Not the headline. One point away from the Dallas Stars for tops in the division. Again, not the headline. 7-0-3 in their last 10 are the Minnesota Wild. Not the headline. Three points each for Hartman and Joel Erickson Eck. Not the headline. Two points for Boldy. Two points for Reeves. Who, by the way, Ryan Reeves, last two games. Impressive. Sam Steele with a pair of points. Alex Kologoski with a pair of points. All these things, not the headline. The headline is Jordan Bennington. Once again, center stage, spotlight, mask off, gloves down, stick down, Let's go, Jordan Bennington. Now, as a quick aside, maybe the answer is, and I might be missing someone, forgive me if I am. The question is, when was the last time the league's number one villain was a netminder? Ron Hextall, Philadelphia Flyers? Probably. Although there were some pretty nasty acts of business around when Hextall played. But right now, make no mistake about it, public enemy number one, is Jordan Bennington, netminder for the St. Louis Blues, has driven a number of teams crazy, whether it's the Pittsburgh Penguins, whether it's the San Jose Sharks. I know I'm going to leave out a whole bunch here, or as we saw last night, the Minnesota Wild. Jordan Bennington is center stage. Now, really, if you're looking for a villain from last night's situation between St. Louis and uh, Minnesota, and by the way, Bennington has a hearing today, for his roughing slash unsportsmanlike attack on Hartman, cost of doing business. Um, if you're looking for the real villain last night, the real villain might not have been Jordan Bennington. The real villain may have been David Brisebois, who was the linesman who was holding Jordan Bennington back. And I know we've seen linesmen hold Jordan Bennington back a lot, and that just continues. I think, to infuriate infuriate other teams, other players, and certainly other fans. And at times we've seen Craig Burby not really impressed with the goaltender's act. Stick to making saves. He didn't do that last night, surrendering five. And then going at the Minnesota Wild bench. The last time we saw someone go to a Minnesota bench like that, the name was one sink. With the Boston Bruins, old school fans, that's one for you right there. But the villain might have been David Brisebois, who ended up holding him back. You know, one of the reasons, one of the reasons um, why I loved Paul Stewart as an NHL referee is he hated scrums. He hated scrums, and there was scrum in front of the net, in front of the goaltender, and guys would, you know, push and shove, fake tough guy acts, face wash here and there, chop on the ankles. He hated it. So he, will, he would pull linesmen out of scrums. Lineys, get out. If you're going to fight, fight. If not, break up. But I'm calling your bluff. That's what Stewie did on the regular. Hands up, how many people last night really would have wished that David Breezewell would have just said, it's unfair just to grab one combatant. Insert the Kevin Collins joke, the obvious one here. Again, that's for you old school fans. 
It's unfair for me to just grab Jordan Bennington when Marc-Andre Fleury is loose and wanting to punch Jordan Bennington. Maybe I best just let go and see what happens. That would have probably been to the delight of everybody in the building, watching, following online. Paul Stewart probably would have done that. And probably in a different era, that's what would have happened. But to the point about Jordan Bennington becoming and really firmly cementing his position now as public enemy number one, very appropriate that Ric Flair was in the building last night to watch that one because make no mistake about it. So much of Jordan Bennington's act is ripped right out of the pages of professional wrestling. It's the heel act. It's the hide behind the referee. It's the attack the unsuspecting. It's the uh, the taunting when you're losing. All of that. The whole act is pro wrestling. And a lot of pro wrestling fans go right along with it. Either they understand it or they don't. But make no mistake about it. This is completely a pro wrestling spectacle that we're seeing from Jordan Bennington. I personally have no problem with it. I have no problem with it for a number of reasons. One, we see a lot of emotionless games. And this isn't the only way to fire up emotion. I get that. But it is one. And to have someone in the league, and specifically a goaltender, get under people's skin the way that Jordan Bennington does is remarkable and noteworthy. And this is... The constant carrot in front of the mule when it comes to this situation because everybody is thinking the same thing. David Breezewalk, get out of the way. Let these two guys go. Give us what we want here. Again, this is ripped out of the pages of professional wrestling. No, they're not going to fight here on a Wednesday night. You'll have to buy the pay-per-view to watch that. There's an old line about things like this in hockey I believe it was Consmite who said it. If we don't stop all this fighting, we're going to have to make bigger buildings. Um, so last night, Bennington was the star of the show, even though the St. Louis Blues lost, because that's all anybody, including the Department of Player Safety, is talking about today. Let's hear from some of the primaries here. And just to get you riled up here on a Thursday afternoon slash Thursday morning, depending on when you're listening to this, and if you listen to the podcast, I could say Thursday evening. Let's hear from a couple of the primaries, starting with St. Louis Blues netminder Jordan the Heel Bennington. I mean, they're they're a tough team to play against, and um, you know they're harder on the net, and and uh, I just felt you know it gets to a certain point, and um, you know it was the game uh, was the game, right? Goals were going in, so it's frustrating, and then um, this felt yeah that was that was the moment. You feel like Hartman did was on purpose. Well, I mean, we know the type of player he is. Uh, I actually like his game, to be honest, but I've been playing against him uh, since the jungle days for a while now, and uh, he plays the game hard, and I respect it, and, and that's no problem. So it's just that's how uh, how it kind of played out, and, and it's all good. But, he, I mean, he, he skates toward you, and he, he could avoid it. It's like he skated right into your legs. You, you have your back to him, right? Did you even see him coming? I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, no, he knows what he's doing. He's... He's, uh, he's good at it, and, and like I said, I, I like his game. Um, plays hard and maybe dives a little bit much, but for the most part, pretty pretty solid. And um, you know, they're they're like I said, they're a tough team to play against, and 
it's not the outcome uh, we wanted today. Did you expect Flurry to come down? What did you think of that? Uh, yeah, I'm not surprised. I think kind of felt like it was our moment, but uh, yeah, you know, I got nothing but respect for for Flurry too. Obviously, he's a legendary goalie, and um, coming down there, yeah, shows uh, shows a lot about him. And um, yeah, that's it. I love when guys go into hockey speak and start talking about respect. At that point, Bennington just wanted to throw down with Mark Andre Fleury. Make no mistake about it, and could not resist throwing in the little shot about Hartman. Yeah, he dives a little bit, but a little bit much. But I still do like his game. Mild mannered, like the person during the interviews. The Jordan Bennington during the interview is very much different than the Jordan Bennington you see on the ice, and that makes the shtick that much better. Thank you very much. Let's hear now from uh, from Mark Andre Fleury, the goaltender who challenged Mr. Bennington. Flower, please. You said you wanted to get a fight in before your career was over. You think it'd be tonight? <laughs> Maybe not this quick, but uh, I don't know. I saw him jumping there right, and punched one of our guys, so. I feel that was my guy. Right? I had to take care of. Did you did you want it? Did you want it to happen? It seemed like you were. Yeah, I crossed the ice and take off my helmet, so I think I wanted it. You know, <laughs> but uh, I know the refs were pretty quick in there. You know, they didn't let me go, and the other one came at me quick too. So too bad. You surprised at his reaction? And, uh, you surprised at Bennington's reaction? To, when? To Hartman's goal and. To jump it. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I couldn't say surprise. You know, I think he was seeing Jordan do a few, uh, few things in his career. You know, faking the sticks, faking the punch, and stuff. So, um, yeah, that's why I went. You know, because my guy jumped in the foul. Right? Disappointed they held you back there? Yeah, no, it would have been fun. No, they just, uh, yeah, tried to help my teammates and all again. That tried to throw a couple punch. The crowd was up on their feet. Right, so that's that's pretty cool too. And, um, Never had to find my career, you know, so it would have been pretty cool. But happy we got to win. You know, it was uh, the main reason we're here for. And um, I was not pretty, but worked out pretty good. The Olympic Games are on. It's okay to say you just wanted a fight. You just wanted to have a scrap. You just wanted to have a fight. I figured that was my time. And I was sick of this Bennington guy. And we've seen what he's done before. And I thought if it's going to be anyone, it might as well be me. Henrik Lundqvist now from TNT last night. Let's hear from uh, the king. Watching, the, I remember giving up five goals. I just wanted to hide behind a rock or something, just disappear. I would definitely not wave to the crowd. Uh, but, you know, as a goal, you have different ways to get into a sweet spot when you're focused and you're making good decisions. And to me, if I overreacted to things, it was just a sign to me that I'm not on top of my game. Bennington has different ways to getting that. The question is, is he doing too much to try to get to his sweet spot? It's been a lot of incidents last couple of years yep. now. That is probably the best point about all of this and the best analysis. And it took him about two seconds to, to, to synthesize this and break it down and crystallize it. Henrik Lundqvist talking about everybody has different ways to get to their sweet spot. Here's the one thing and someone reminded me of a while ago about Jordan Bennington as, you know, and I was guilty of this as well, saying he's got to calm down the act. He's got to stop the act. This is ridiculous and distracted and losing games and losing his temper. And someone said to me a while ago, and it, it's really stuck with me. And Lundquist sort of echoed it a little bit in that comment on TNT last night. That's what got him to the NHL. 
Like, this isn't something new. He didn't just arrive in the NHL and bam, this behavior emerged. This style of Jordan Bennington emerged. This is what got him there. And as much as Craig Berube has, his head coach with St. Louis, has spoken publicly about how he wants him to just make saves, about how fans might be incensed, either other teams' fans or his own fans. And we'll see what happens with the DOPS today. I'm sure they're not amused. As I mentioned, there is a hearing. We always have to consider one thing. In Jordan Bennington's mind, all of this is what got him to the NHL. Why would he even consider stopping now? Welcome to the Jeff Merrick Show. Let's get going here. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Speaking of goaltenders, hour two, Devin Dubnik of the NHL Network, former NHL goaltender, will uh, will weigh in. There was, uh, how shall we say, a meeting of the minds once upon a time with Jordan Bennington and Devin Dubnik himself. We'll get his thoughts on, on Bennington here in a second. Uh, Daniel Briere, interim general manager for the Philadelphia Flyers, will stop by in hour two as well. In the meantime, uh, I blathered on too long in the intro, so I'll start with an apology to Mike Zeisberger of NHL.com. Apologies, Mike. Thanks for hanging on. Uh, you're apologizing for having me on. Thanks. <laughs> no, all good. All good. <laughs> Quite Jeff. The uh, it's always <laughs> a pleasure to be on the Jeff Nair show. You know that. You uh, know my that. buddy going back years and years and years. My good friend, my, my concert going buddy once upon a time. Um, yep. so before, before we get to, uh, to last night, the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Colorado Avalanche, we haven't talked about the Leafs here, um, in a while. So I want to get your thoughts on them both last night and in general. Uh, I know you, you must have a thought about Jordan Bennington last night and Marc-Andre Fleury, capital O, capital S, old school. What did you make of uh, another eruption by the St. Louis Blues netminder yesterday? Well, you know, I, Joe, I, um, you know, thinking thinking about it, Jeff, I listened to your intro, and, and you were right on the mark. And I can go back to the fact that um, back in 2019, when the Maple Leafs were eliminated in the first round, um, I picked up the St. Louis Blues for three rounds. Um, and so I kind of watched this Jordan Bennington. And, you know... <laughs> You're exactly on the mark. This is what brought him here. People may not like that, and he should curtail it a little bit. Obviously, um, we've seen some of these incidents. But when you look at the body of work of Jordan Bennington, I mean, even that Cinderella year of 2019 when he went all the way to help the Blues win the Stanley Cup in the same season that he had played his first NHL game, he played with a chip on his shoulder. And, Jeff, I remember, and I, you might recall this a bit, yep. but um, in the second round they played the Dallas Stars. And there was a game in Dallas where the two, uh, he and Ben, he kind of bumped Ben Bishop uh, after the second period of one of the games in Dallas because that's where the benches, um, it was the long mm. bench where your bench was on the far side of your end. And as the two goalies were kind of, passing each other um you know bennington kind of bumped him and after the game jim montgomery the coach of the stars at the time said something to the effect of i think we are starting to get to jordan bennington bennington's response the next day who's jim montgomery i think i got more likes and 
whatever on Twitter for that one tweet, for that one quote yeah. than I ever have. And that that's just Biddington saying, like, I don't really give a bleep about anybody else or the opposition. This is what I need to crank me up. Um, we remember in those playoffs too, Jeff, even he would, he had, if you think about it, some real stinkers in that playoff run. But when he was good, he was very, very good. Uh, look back to game yep. seven of the final first period against Boston. The blues could have been blown out if it wasn't for him. So am I saying his mm-hmm. behavior is wrong? Um, yeah, I think he crosses the line sometimes. But should we be surprised? No, because when he has kept it, you know, within himself a little bit, it's that kind of chip-on-the-shoulder mentality that got, has gotten him uh, to, where, to where he is. So, I mean, that, that in summation is, is, is how I feel about Jordan Bennington. I know him a little bit, really competitive guy, not a bad person at all. There's a lot of stuff, very good stuff in the community off the ice um, and can be a hell of a goalie. But sometimes he does that competitiveness gets the better of him. Yeah, he's bumped a few guys. I'm going to talk to Devin Dubnik at the top of hour or two. He's one of the guys that he sort of crossed with and, and bumped. Ilya Sorokin uh, of the Islanders this year as well. I don't know where the beef could have been there, but there it was, you know, bumping another tendy uh, as, yep. they, uh, as they cross paths at, at the end of a period or, or during a TV timeout. Um, okay, we'll, we'll park the, the, the Minnesota-St. Louis-Jordan Bennington conversation, uh, and I want to get your thoughts on the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, both last night and in general, like when you when you first of all, when you look at last night's game, first of all, I thought that was a masterclass in the Colorado Avalanche showing how they can play defensively with some of the best teams in the NHL. I, like, I'll, I'll be honest with you guys. I went into this one saying, all right, here we go. Uh, 7-5 game coming up, 6-4 game. We're going to see 10 goals. And we got quite the opposite. And we got a real lesson in how the Avalanche can shut a team down, can suppress shots, can keep the puck away from Georgiev. What were some of your takeaways from last night's Avalanche win against the Maple Leafs? Well, first of all, the way the Avalanche played, Jeff, I'm going to go back to um, Game 7, or sorry, Game 6 of the final in Tampa last year where the, where the Avs clinched uh, the Stanley Cup. Um, was sitting... Uh, at the behind the Tampa net, uh, high up in the in the ox box, so you could see the way that the Lightning, who were down by a goal in Game Six, they needed that mm-hmm. tying goal to extend the, to get a chance to extend the ser- series. You could see the way that the light, Lightning were doing their line rushes, the way they were trying to make zone entries. It was the the, the way that the Avalanche shut them down in the third period. And look, Jeff, we're talking about Kucherov. We're talking about um, Stamkos. We're talking, you know, Hedman. We're talking about elite players who had just come off winning back-to-back Stanley Cups. And the way that Colorado shut it down, you're just looking and going, you know what, they finally listened to what Jared Bednar, their, their coach, was saying. The way that Tampa had to learn to play defense to win those two cups, you know, after they got swept yeah. by Columbus that one year. Uh, you got to learn how to play defense no matter how many offensive stars you have. Colorado learned how to do it. It won them a Stanley Cup. 
Tampa learned how to do it. It won them a, a couple of Stanley Cups. Now, am I saying that the Leafs are going to win a cup? By no means am I saying that. But you saw the way that Colorado can shut it down when they need to. They didn't have Landeskog. They didn't have Lekkonen. Um, So that's the way that they decided to go up against the high-powered Leafs. On the other hand, I thought the Leafs played a really, really good defensive game. The way that they're going to have to play in the playoffs against teams that have stars like a McKinnon, a Rantanen, um, players of that ilk. So, um, yeah, it didn't, it didn't, you know, they got, they only got one point. They got two or uh, sorry, they didn't get two points. They only got one because of the shootout. But I was impressed, Jeff. And I I don't know if you, if you thought the same thing, that that was the type of game that they're going to have to play in the playoffs. And they did that against some pretty big guns on the other side for Colorado. Yeah, that that was my sort of follow up question for you here, Zai, and that and that is, you know, how much of that is a is a lesson for this Toronto team that hey, it's fine if you want to blow teams out seven to two, and and that's great, and that looks wonderful on a on a Tuesday night for a, a against a non playoff team, but if you're going to do anything in the playoffs. Get used to that style of game. Maybe not in the first round because we know the first round is bonkers. But as things go deeper and systems tighten up and injuries become a factor and, you know, uh, strategically teams need to play stingier um, and, you know, take their channel, play 50-50 hockey and take your chances on the special teams. How many times have you heard that come playoff time? These are the types of games that if the Maple Leafs want to do anything, they better get used to playing. Well, it's just, I think when the coaching staff, you know, today goes over the, goes over the video um, of that game last night, that is one of the encouraging things. Um, you don't have to play that way depending on what the other team is giving you, but you have to know that if, it, if the case comes up where you do have to shut it down, that you can play that way. You know, you've got to go into a first round um, okay, so, you know, their first-round series, which, you know, we all think is going to be Tampa. Yeah, that's not McKinnon and McCarr on the other side, but it is Stamkos and Point and Kucherov. And so there are going to be mm-hmm. times where you're going to have to shut it down. Now, you know, in Game 7 last year, I thought they did a good job against Tampa doing that. And, you know, uh, they lost 2-1 to one because Nick Paul outscore their stars and i do think that when it comes down to crunch time there's in the playoffs their stars are going to have to step up but you're not going to get to that point unless you learn how to play shutdown hockey and i think that team uh, you know i do think that the maple leafs are learning more and more how to do that part of that is from some of the guys that they brought in you know the acharis um the, the lafferty's uh, mccabe i've been really impressed with on the back end and, uh, you know, uh, we all know what they'll get when O'Reilly comes back. So you've got players that can help you play that style. And it gives it certainly gives Sheldon Keefe a lot more flexibility, especially when the playoffs come around. Uh, let's say the playoffs were coming around tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. Safe to say Samson off is the starter. If the playoffs start tomorrow, true or false? Well, I haven't understood. Yes, and I haven't understood the whole narrative the last week or so about you know, well, if Murray looks good or something like that. I mean, I know Samsonov has had a couple of hiccups uh, on the road, 
But look at his overall body of work. I mean, Jeff, when they signed this guy last year, um, you know, did anybody really think that he would go on, you know, he had that long unbeaten run at home. Um, you know, on most, most nights he's looked very, very steady. I thought, um, you know, last week in that win in New Jersey, he was one of the big reasons why they won that game. So I don't even see why there's been a debate the last week. Um, you know, I like Matt Murray a lot, but uh, you know, his history of injuries and, and, inconsistency and i'm not saying it's his fault but the three starts that he's had since he's come back from injury he's let at least four goals in in each of those starts again not saying that that's his fault uh solely but when you compare that to the work of samsonov um i have not seen anything that would tell me that samsonov should not be um the overwhelming favorite to be the starting goalie uh uh tomorrow so mm. that that's who I would go with uh, easily. Let me uh, let me get off the Toronto Maple Leafs page here with his ice with Mike Zeisberger from NHL.com. Let me get off the Leafs page and head down the QEW uh, and address the Buffalo Sabers because I know that's a team that you always have and continue to do so. Um, had an eye on, and this goes back yep. to the the French Connection days as well, and I loved them too. Um, that's a big. That's a big point to lose last night against the Washington Capitals. And we can get into the Kuznetsov, you know, shootout style debate if, if you want. I personally had zero problem with it, but I know that, you know, certain people, you know, went banana sandwich on it. But we'll park that for this question. Um, I, the, the obvious question about the Sabres is, did Kevin Adams miscalculate and say, we're married to our process regardless of how the team has performed this year and they're paying the price for it? Or do you think this is a situation where the Buffalo Sabres, and man, last night was a tough one. At least they didn't lose two. At least they didn't get blanked. They got the one point. Yeah. Or is this a situation where you think the Buffalo Sabres just say, you know what, it's a tough pill to swallow, but we're on the right track. We don't want to We don't want to move this thing too uh, too forward, too fast. We're going to take our time with this one and ultimately win the race. It's a marathon. This isn't a 100-meter dash, and we're sticking to our guns and no regrets. How do you see the Sabre story right now? Well, for me, it's the, it's the latter that you just explained. Um, you know, I understand, you know, that the Sabres have not made the, the playoffs in over a decade, and there's a lot of uh, hunger among the fans and excitement but, Jeff, really, is there one guy that they could have brought in that would have changed anything that we've seen? And especially a rental player. I agree with the Sabres wholeheartedly. So you bring in a couple of rental players. If you do, you're going to have to bench one of the young guys that you're kind of leaning on for the next few years um, with no guarantee that that rental player is going to get you in there. Let's not forget, they made a, they made a very concerted effort uh, to get Jacob Chikrin. Uh, you know, they fell short. He went to Ottawa. But let's remember, he signed for another couple of years. But I, I have no no problem with them uh, not bringing in rental guys. I don't think that one player would be the difference in what's gone on in Buffalo. And you look, I mean, this has been a, a Jekyll and Hyde team. I mean, if you look in the last month, they beat a couple of teams by scoring seven goals. 
and they've also lost a couple of games, one where they gave up seven and one where they gave up ten. So what that shows me is what you see from young learning teams. Okay, there's a hell of a lot of talent, but they have to learn to play a certain way. So for me, if Kevin Adams is going to make, make big moves, um, it'll either be in free agency during the off season where you can get guys on a longer tenure or, you know, yeah. that's maybe where you make trades where teams are looking and saying, look, we can't re-sign one of our guys, so we want to get draft capital uh, back. We've seen a lot of big deals around the, uh, uh, you know, around the draft in recent years. So I think that's where Kevin's going to play his hand. Um, you know, uh, the goaltending situation is something that very much is in flux. But, look, I mean, the Sabres have gone so many times for that quick fix in the, in the past decade. Dare we bring up uh, the name Billy Dino? But, uh, you know, that, that to me, <laughs> yep. right? That to me, you know what? Was... Enough Band-Aids. Stick with the, you know, I, I love the direction they're going in with their young players like Thompson and, and uh, play Cousins and, and, you know, Power and Dolan on the back end. They're going to dominate this league for a long time. Don't go for the quick band-aid. I think next year, Jeff, is going to be the year where they're kind of, you know, the spotlight's going to be on them. That is going to be the time where they're going to have to go for it in terms of the playoffs. Right now, I know it stings, but those guys are going to learn from those losses. The I don't disagree with you. The only thing, and this wouldn't have been done at the deadline, it would have had to have been done, I don't know, sometime, maybe even a little bit before Christmas. You know, one of the things that I kept hearing from teams about the Buffalo Sabres is how hot they run their young defense. You mentioned Power, you mentioned Rasmus Dahlin, uh, throw Matias Samuelson into that mix. That's yep. a lot of minutes for three really young guys in an 82-game season. T- to me... The the move that Kevin Adams could have slash maybe should have hindsight is twenty twenty and I'm talking from the back seat and I don't have my hand on a wheel here in Buffalo observation or, or thought that I would have is if they were going to make a move it needed to be earlier in the season with a defenseman just to lessen the load I mean Mike you saw all the games they rode those three hot big minutes yep. for young defensemen in this league at eighty two games. Maybe we shouldn't look at the Buffalo Sabres right now and say, wow, it's it's surprising that they've they've taken this dip considering, I mean, they, they tried in the They brought in, you know, Ilya Labushkin in the, in the offseason, but that wasn't going to, yeah. you know, ad- address minutes for their top three young defensemen. To me, it would have been to bring in a more veteran rear guard earlier to try to lessen the load of those three. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily d- uh, disagree with that. Um I think one of the counterpoints to that, Jeff, which the Sabres would probably bring up in a case like a kid. Okay, let's take a kid like Power, okay? And, and we were talking to him early the, earlier this week, and he admitted, like, he had, you know, that's been the biggest challenge is he was in college last year, okay? He only joined the Sabres for the last, I believe, six months of the season. So this is a learning curve for him, too. So, yeah, you could you know, and I'm only talking about power right now. You could say, bring in another guy and cut his minutes, but how is he ever going to learn how to, you know, go through all the, all the rigors of an 82 game schedule? How is he going to understand how his body holds up 
to those minutes in the first season that he's played like a, you know a rigorous schedule like that and i think in the in the process he's going to learn from this season you know what how much more do i have to work out how do i have to change my training regimen because it's great when you come out of college and people say okay this is what you have to do but you have to also go through it to understand your own body because you know everybody's body reacts differently and so I, I I I do agree with you. Maybe bringing in a veteran to cut some of their minutes down um, would have been good for this season. But I also think that, you know, baptism by fire isn't necessarily a bad thing, especially when you've got a prospect <laughs> like that that has to learn how to yep. build himself up. I love it, Zyz. I love that you're like the mother bird here. A couple of days in the nest, and then, well, hope you can fly. Go for it. Yeah, well, Let's it's see not what you can do. Here been you go. The mother, okay. <laughs> you're the best. Uh, always been a solid pal. Listen, you be well. Uh, great to hear your voice again. Uh, you be good. We'll check back soon. Thanks, Zyz. Thanks for having me. Uh, call anytime, Jeff. Have a great day. The great Mike Zeisberger from NHL.com, uh, one of my great old-time friends in this industry. Zyz and I have killed many a brain cell at various rock concerts around southwestern Ontario going back a couple of decades. That's Carney for me and Mike are getting older. It's actually Carney for me and Mike are old. Uh, we'll take a break. Uh, coming up, you're going to hear from Edmonton Oilers head coach Jay Woodcroft. Now, Elliot and I just put this podcast out this morning. Last week, we sat down with the Edmonton Oilers bench boss. Uh, that came out this morning. We'll play part of that interview with you, and if we get it, or for you rather, and if we get a chance, we'll talk a little bit about the Oilers. Devin Dubnik still to come. Daniel Briere, an hour or two as well. Philadelphia Flyers interim general manager. Uh, plenty more. Jay Woodcroft on the other side of this break. Mary show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360. I'm back in a moment. Breaking down the biggest trends in hockey, the Hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Coming up, Devin Dubnik kicks off hour two. Actually, Random Player of the Day kicks off hour two. Today is a special edition of Random Player of the Day, i.e. not done by me. Details at the top of the hour, followed by Devin Dubnik, followed by Philadelphia Flyers interim general manager Daniel Briere. So plenty to get to today. And uh, wanted to get some of this on as, uh, as a way to share some of this interview um, across our radio network and also uh, give a cheap plug for our podcast. I'll be blunt. Uh, the podcast came out this morning, full-length interview with Jay Woodcroft, me and Elliot, uh, produced by Amal Delich, uh, the great Amal Delich. Um, came out this morning. It's about 45 minutes long, something like that. We're going to play a segment of it. This is Oilers head coach Jay Woodcroft, who is one of the most fascinating coaches in the entire NHL, um, the proverbial student of the game ever since he was, and he's the youngest of three brothers. The other two as well are coaches. They're a very big, strong coaching family. It's the all-in, full-on, 24-7 coaching family story. And Jay is the youngest, has always been able to soak it all in and drink it all in and had this ascent through some really intriguing and high-quality professional hockey teams 
his first job was with the Detroit Red Wings as a video coach. The Red Wings team that had, oh, I don't know, Nick Lidstrom, oh, I don't know, Pavel Datsuk, Henrik Zetterberg, etc. From there into San Jose where it was, hey, that's Joe Thornton, and oh, that's Dan Boyle, and hey, is that Joe Pavelski over there? Yes, it is, and oh, hi, Patrick Marlowe. And then into the Edmonton Oilers organization, first as an assistant, then head coach of the Bakersfield Condors. Congratulations. Uh, won the Calder Cup there in the American Hockey League. Up with the big team once again as head coach. And there are two Ferraris waiting in his driveway. Uh, one whose license plate reads Connor, the other whose license plate reads Leon. Here's part of the interview that Elliot and I did with the aforementioned Jay Woodcroft, head coach of the Edmonton Oilers. Enjoy. Your group, they went to the Stanley Cup semifinals last year, the Western Conference Final. Yeah. And I don't want to say that this looks like a joyless season because I don't believe that's true. But when I watch the Oilers play, Jay, I see a team that is not interested in anything else aside from getting past where they were last year. Like you watch McDavid, the night scores 50th goal. He doesn't want to talk about scoring 50. I kind of look at your group and I, I say it's all business, all business. You know, internally we have some fun with each other. You know, it might not be uh, something that we advertise or whatnot, um, but I would say uh, for us the joy is in the journey. And for me, you know, we want to do better than we did last year, but the first hurdle you have to get to is you got to make the playoffs. And the 82-game grind of an NHL schedule, not everything is going to go perfectly. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to capture moments that happen within the season that help us uh, with our ultimate goal. But we still got to move along uh, the regular season. And for us, it hasn't been an easy season. Uh, There's been some times where we've played short just because of salary cap implications. Uh, We've lost uh, some, you know, people up front early in the year that really affected some of the things that we were trying to do. What do I mean by that? You know, a lot of times we went to 11 forwards and seven defensemen. We were doing what we had to do in order to gain points and stay afloat in kind of the divisional race we've taken a real step i believe since christmas time and uh, there has been a lot of positive stories within our year but in the end what we're trying to do is prepare ourselves for game number 83 and uh, that is our focus but we got to get to number 83 before you uh, you can worry about uh, winning that first game in the playoffs or winning the first round in the playoffs you got to make sure you're capturing certain moments within the year that are going to prepare you for a long playoff run. You know, Elliot talked about, you know, the team and looking determined and focused. We see all of that on Connor McDavid. I know you referenced the 50 goals, and I don't want to talk about that. And, yeah. like, it's kind of for everybody else. We've said it before on the podcast. Like, it's frightening. Like, he's at that next level. Just when you think, like, okay, he's out of gears, there's another one. And we've all watched a lot of Connor. Like here in Toronto where we're doing this, a lot of people watched him play with the Marlies before that on York Simcoe or played with the Erie Otters all the way through. This is the most intense and focused we've ever seen Connor McDavid. What does the coach think? I'm impressed. You know, something I would say on just the on-ice side of things, we can't be numb to what we're witnessing here. Mm -hmm. This is an historic season in this type of hockey that's being played by this generation. For me, 
usually when we come into a different city, all the local media want to talk about is Connor. Yep. And, you know, something I said earlier in the year, and I wish I could attribute to where I heard it, but I heard somebody talking about someone at the top of their game or the top of their field. And the, the way they equated it was, you know, it's like being at the foot of Everest. Sometimes you become numb to the brilliance of what you're seeing. And what do I mean by that is, you know, you get out the door, you look up and there's this beautiful mountain. Well, you do that for a number of years. Sometimes you take it for granted. I don't think we should be taking for granted what we're seeing from not only the best hockey player in the world, but one of the best athletes in the world right now. That's on the hockey side of things. His season is truly spectacular. On the leadership, you know, his growth as a captain, uh, what I'm privy to on a day-to-day basis is seeing somebody truly sacrifice to be the best uh, at his craft. And I've seen him take a step um, in the leadership side. And what do I mean by that? It's a, it's not just setting the example anymore for him. It's holding people to a certain standard. You know, I'm fortunate that I, I get to coach the best player in the world. Can you give us an example? Have you, have you seen it different this um, year? Um, I think if there's something that happens, uh, in the play where maybe in the past, uh, we would talk about it the next day or in between periods, he's not afraid to nip things in the bud, uh, whether that be with a teammate, whether that be with something he feels on a special team, anything like that. He is unafraid to voice his opinion and I think that's part of uh, intellectually emotionally maturing but I think he's really maturing in into the role of captain I think that playoff run last year wet his appetite and he realizes that in order for our team to take the next step a lot of it comes down to how he plays and what he values as a player but the leadership side of things it's beyond impressive what does coach Jay Woodcroft give Connor McDavid bleep for? Uh, what do I give him bleep for? Uh, not much. Uh, he does a lot. He does a lot well. You know, there are times, um, you know, when I talk about managing rest uh, with him and that, you know, sometimes, um, you know, it might be best if he's played 24 minutes the night before, it might be best uh, for maybe him to sit one out. But he's such a good leader that I think when he chooses to skate in certain situations, it comes down to him showing the team that he's willing to do that for the team. But I don't give him bleep about too much. <laughs> What's the perfect length for a video session? Uh, not too long. You know, I, I think we have to understand the world we live in now. So I believe that one of the best qualities for young coaches out there is to learn how to distill things down to what is most important, what is most essential. Uh, I think there's ways to get to people on the little uh, details of things. A lot of that will happen one-on-one. But in terms of a video session for the team, you know, I try and keep it under two or three minutes max. Hmm. That's fast. Yeah, I try. Sometimes it's a little bit longer. <laughs> if we've lost a few in a row, it might be a little bit longer. But I still believe that the brain can only hold attention for so long. And that's learned through experience. Because I remember Bruce Boudreau telling a story about the first time when he got hired in Washington, the yeah. first time he had to make Alexander Ovechkin the star of that day's film mm-hmm. session. Yeah, And he said he went to Ovechkin first and he said, you're getting it today. Yeah. Have you ever done that with McDavid? Yeah. And I would say this, that happens quite often. And that is the job of the coach is to provide leadership, you know, in that regard and make sure everybody's held accountable. I think Connor enjoys that. 
I think we have to give our best players things that they can sink their teeth into that can help them be the best that they can be. That's been my experience. I've been around a lot of really good players over time, and it's been my experience that the best players in the world want to be led, and that's what I'm here to do. Are, are Connor and Leon different at all in the way that you, they have to be coached or managed? Yes. How? I think uh, Leon, first of all, is the son of a coach. And he's somebody who's been kind of in that world for a, a longer time. He comes early to the rink. He has certain patterns that he follows. I think uh, what's similar about both of them is they have elite hockey sense, like elite off-the-charts hockey sense. They understand the patterns in the game. They understand um, the way the game is being played, what teams are having the most success, why they're having it. Uh, they both crave information that's going to help them be the best that they can be, but they're different personality types. Um, they're different presences. Um, you know, I think uh, in the end, uh, they're both great friends, though, because they are different. They're not the same. We were all amazed at Leon last year in the playoffs. Yeah. One of the greatest playoff performances I think we've all seen. And, yeah. you know, you're, you're agreeing with that. That's, that's obvious. We watch it from, you know, a fan's point of view, with a fan's eyes. You coach Leon Dreisaitl. You know hockey. You played. You've coached. Yeah. What impresses you? Let's go back to that playoff series. The pain tolerance that he played with, and not just played, but he played at such a high level. Yeah. I mean, both him and Connor shredded uh, three different teams offensively. You know, the numbers that they put up were unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And for Leon to have done that on one leg is amazing. I thought what we learned about Leon was that he found a new way under a special circumstance, meaning... You know, given his injury, there were certain things he could do on the ice. There were certain things he couldn't do on the ice. We changed his position in large part because of that. Yet dealing with the pain and finding a new way, he still found a way to have an effect and help drive our team forward. I go back, you know, to this year, the hockey sense, you know, the goal that uh, he scored the other day when he put the goal back on its peg mm -hmm. against Winnipeg and then found a hole about this big, you know, from almost an impossible angle. Mm -hmm. That goal doesn't happen unless he has the hockey sense and the wherewithal to understand that that peg had to be put back on, on the mooring or whatever. So I'm glad we got to that one quote by Jay Woodcroft. And that full podcast, you can find at your favorite podcast, Podcatcher, came out uh, early this morning. Um, Elliot and I in conversation with Jay Woodcroft, head coach of the Edmonton Oilers. The one line that I'm glad we included there um, is my one big takeaway line. And there were a few. Um, but my one big takeaway line from talking to Jay Woodcroft last week was, we can't be numb to what we're seeing. I think in a lot of ways, even though we still talk about Connor McDavid a lot, we do here, we do on television, podcasts, everywhere you go, the casual conversation uh, in the cafes and the bars and around the rinks and the sports saloons and everywhere, you know, the conversation with talking about hockey is going to turn to Connor McDavid at some point. And I do believe that we're taking a lot of this for granted and that we have, to Woodcroft's point, become numb. We can't be numb to what we're seeing. Connor McDavid has 56 goals and 129 points. It's March 16th. Tonight, his Edmonton Oilers will face off against the Dallas Stars. You can watch this one on Sportsnet. Checks notes. West, starting at 9 o'clock Eastern. Don't be numb to this. I know it's hard not to. 
because we've been with Connor McDavid in this NHL orbit now for a number of years, and we're just used to it. But don't become numb to it. Just because you're comfortable with Connor McDavid doing Connor McDavid things. We got to this place with Wayne Gretzky as well. Those of you that are from a specific vintage will recall, because I did, and I suspect you did as well if you're the same age as me, became numb to how great Wayne Gretzky was. And, you know, people now will ask, you know, younger hockey fans, maybe even fans that have only been with the game for 10 years or 20 years, you know, they'll look at the Gretzky numbers and their jaws will hit the ground. How did one person put up those types of numbers? Oh, it must have been the era. Oh, it must have been how they played. Oh, goalies didn't know how to play then. Wasn't that. It was that Wayne was just that much better than everybody else. And the impressive thing about Wayne was he didn't have the hardest shot. He wasn't the fastest skater. He wasn't the biggest guy. He showed you how you can think your way into being the best player in the NHL. Make no mistake about it. Wayne Gretzky was a high-level athlete, elite-level athlete. But he didn't shoot the hardest, skate the fastest. The thing about Connor McDavid is, and this is where Woodcroft's point, I think, really hits home about not being numb to what we're seeing. McDavid does skate the fastest. McDavid does have, maybe not the hardest, but one of the most accurate shots. And he's able to get it away, get it off really quickly. An elite-level shot matching elite-level feet. It's kind of what we said when we saw Pavel Bure, Right? I mean, we've seen players with great hands, but slow boots. We've seen players with fast skates, but, oh, hands like feet. David has it all. Great line by Woodcroft. We can't be numb to what we're seeing. Hope you enjoyed that snippet. The full interview is available at the most recent edition of 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Devin Dubnik, Danny Briere, coming up next. Here comes Hour 2. and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkin Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, so we'll kick off Hour 2. Welcome to it, by the way. Kick off Hour 2 with uh, some bad news. Some, oh, well, this sucks news. Foul this under. Ah, crap. A tweet from our colleague Ken Weeb in Winnipeg. Sam Gagne has been dealing with some hip issues and has elected to have surgery. The NHL Jets forward is done for the season. That sucks. When it comes to hip surgery, as we all know by now, generally I give a player a year out grace. Like, I don't make any judgments about that player, at least for a year, just knowing how sensitive hip surgery is and what it's like to recover and what you're like coming off of it. Ah, I feel terrible for Sam Gagne. feel terrible for the Winnipeg Jets. feel terrible for their fans. Bad for the Gagne family. We wish him a very speedy recovery, one of our favorite players around these parts. And I believe Maddie. Marchese, our producer, someone that you went to a minor hockey or was it junior hockey tryout with? Oh, minor hockey. Minor hockey tryout. One pass, the story of my hockey career. Give it to me. Give us the story. 
Yeah, two on two on one. I don't even know how I got on the same line as Sam Gagne in a tryout, but here we are. Uh, this would have been after that <laughs> that Marley's team, that minor midget Marley's team. They were ready to disband because yep. they were all going different places, whatever. Uh, Tavares was actually yep. at that tryout as well. So I'm two on one with Sam Gagne. I do the old uh, fake snapshot pass, wide open net. Sam Gagne taps yeah. it in and goes, nice pass, man. And I went, and I just laughed internally. I went, Pfft. But you're going to the NHL. You don't care about that pass. <laughs> that is as close as you ever got to the NHL. That sure one pass is. on a two-on-one during a tryout with Sam Gagne, and he buried it. Hold on to that one, Matty Marchese. And uh, while we have you, uh, before we get to Devin Dubnik and Danny Breer, that's going to be our guest here for Hour 2. Random Player of the Day is a little bit different today, and we'll explain in a second. First of all, who is our Random Player of the Day? So uh, this guy, uh, tough guy, was submitted actually by two people. One uh, sent in by Adam McLean, and two sent in by our pal Joey yeah. Kenward. And uh, he did a little bit of work for yes. you for Wayne Van Dorp. Oh, man. Wayne Van Dorp was raw, bone, tough. We have some audio I want to play from Van Dorp as well in the Quebec Nordique days. But pause on that for a second. We'll play it at the end. You'll love it. I think. Just because we never hear players talk about teammates like this. But here we go. So this is um, the bio submitted by Joey Kenward. And don't we all love it when people do our work for us? Uh, Today, the great Joey Kenward submits this one about Wayne Van Dorp. Random player Wayne Van Dorp. Born in Vancouver, played Junior A and BC Junior Hockey League with the Bellingham Blazers before moving up to the Western League to play with the Seattle Breakers, where he was a teammate of fellow tough guy Tim Hunter. One day we're going to do the Tim Hunter one. I know it. I can feel it coming. Um, never drafted, started out playing in the old Atlantic Coast Hockey League for two years in Erie. Oof. Before going to Holland to play in the Dutch League, as one does, with Groningen. He also played for Holland in 1996 when they hosted the World Championships. B. Poole came back to North America 86-87, was in the Oilers system where he played three regular season games and three playoff games, earning him a cup ring. Following season, he's in the Pittsburgh Penguins organization where he winds up playing 25 games with the Penguins. After that, two years for Mike Keenan in Chicago, teammates with Dave Manson, where in the same season they each had over 300 penalty minutes. Players did that in those days. Then he joined the Quebec Nordiques in 1991, played four games for the Nord, which Nords, which happened to be Guy Lafleur's final season in the NHL. And the big point that Joey makes here is that's right, Wayne Van Dorp, was teammates with Gretzky, Lemieux, and Lafleur. I'll stand to be corrected, but pretty certain he's the only player in NHL history to have been teammates with all three of those legends. Just as an aside, maybe you know the answer to this. Maybe we've talked about this. Do you know the only player to have played with all three Gretzky brothers? Oh, Do you know boy. the answer to that one, Maddie? No. There is one player who played with all three Gretzky brothers. Oh, my God. You will the not fact get that you even one. know that. No, no chance. Like, I don't even think I could Google it and get it. Troy Crowder. Speaking oh, of tough guys. Oh, you know what? All I think three I, Gretzkys. I feel like you mentioned that to me before. That that name definitely, yes, that name definitely yeah. rings a bell. I tend to repeat myself in my old age. That happens. Uh, okay, so maybe the only to have played with all those three legends, Wayne Van Dorp playing with Gretzky Lemieux and Guy Lafleur. 125 NHL games, had 12 goals, 12 assists, and 565 penalty minutes. 
special. Resides in Vancouver today, is a very active member with the Canucks Alumni Association, both on and off the ice. Um, Joey submits finally he's had some beauty fight card. Sorry, he's got some beauty fight cards from his playing days. Bracket, Probert, Twist, Ewan, Byers, some tough customers. But this one may be his best in practice with teammate Herb Raglan. I'll tweet this out a little bit later on. It's a training camp fight. It's a practice fight between Wayne Van Dorp and Herb Raglan, who, by the way, a couple of things on Herb Raglan. One of the sneakiest undercover tough guys of his era. Wasn't the biggest guy, but when you scrapped with Raglan, you knew you were in a fight. He was so tough. And do you know what Herb Raglan does now? In the spirit of random player, we'll throw another random fact about a random player. Him and his wife own King Street Markets. He is now, and even put this on his LinkedIn profile, a master butcher and sausage maker. That is what Herb Raglan is doing in Peterborough, I should add. In Peterborough, for everyone listening to us in Pete's country. But the audio from afterwards. So Wayne Van Dorp is interviewed after the fight with Herb Raglan, teammate at Quebec Nordique's practice. And I think we've got isolated what uh, Wayne Van Dorp's comments about Herb Raglan were afterwards. When have you ever heard a player talk like this about another player? Here's Van Dorp. It started since, as soon as he got here. He was just, you know, he, used, he had a big mouth, and I didn't like it. I told him right from the start. That's it. <laughs> Maddie, when have you ever heard a player talk about another player like that? And it wasn't as if Raglan at that point were a rookie. He'd been in the NHL for a number of years. Yeah, not here's what I'll tell you. I haven't heard it enough. How about that? <laughs> I know. I'll tweet out the whole thing a little bit later on. Anyway, Joey Kenward, thank you so much for sending that in. Our our friend from Sportsnet 650. Um, Today's edition of uh, Random Player of the Day, Wayne Van Dorp. We love it when it's the tough guys. Uh, For your chance to get in on this one, uh, submit your Random Player of the Day. JMShow at Sportsnet.ca is the email address. Uh, Very good. Thanks to Joey uh, Kenward and Adam McLean, who sent that one in as well. Uh, Coming up in a couple of moments, Devin Dubnik, NHL Network analyst, former NHL goaltender, will stop by. We'll, you know, around the NHL from a goaltender's perspective with Devin Dubnik, we should get into the Jordan Binnington question again. Um, There was once upon a time a a meeting of the minds, an exchange of ideas um, between Devin Dubnik and uh, Jordan Bennington once upon a time. Daniel Briere coming up at the bottom of the hour, the interim general manager for the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, but let's get right to our first guest here this hour. He is a former NHL goaltender, uh, now analyst for the NHL Network. He is Devin Dubnik, and he joins me now on the Jeff Merrick Show. Devin, thanks so much for doing this. How are you? Awesome. Thanks for having me. Uh, the pleasure is mine. So the topic today around goaltending is... Jordan Bennington, and I'm sure you saw last night with the situation with the Minnesota Wild, and he's got a hearing today for going at Ryan Hartman, and we'll stand by to see what the Department of Player Safety uh, has to say about it. But, Devin, it's not exactly a secret um, that you've had, how shall we say it politely, an exchange of ideas with uh, Jordan Bennington in the past. Like, we've seen him bump goaltenders before as, as they cross over. This year was Ilya Sorokin. Um, we've seen him go at players... Um, Jason Zucker specifically uh, this year with the with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, share your experiences with uh, with Jordan Bennington, netminder of the St. Louis Blues, if you could. Uh, so I mean, I, I had my one 
you know, half run in with him. It wasn't too much. Um, you know, Bitter's a, he's a great goalie, obviously. He's a Stanley Cup winner yeah. and, and, uh, and is a great goalie. Um, the thing I don't love about it is it just, it seems to, it seems to almost be a tantrum type reaction where it always is, it's always when, when he's losing or getting scored on that this stuff seems to surface. And, and there's never really, I mean, that's got to be last night the closest he's ever come to actually getting in an altercation. To me, it's a lot of, uh, you know, they trying to fight when the linesmen are in between or just kind of putting on a show. And, and uh, you know, sometimes that works, but eventually, you know, you saw Baruby earlier this year just saying, like, okay, just enough is enough, stop the puck. Um, so I, I love I love the feistiness I love the the altercation you know I was I used to whack guys with my stick all the time and sometimes it worked and sometimes I barked up the wrong tree I remember Anders Lee making me feel like a like a ten year old boy when he turned around and grabbed me um, <laughs> but you know it's like to me the only thing I don't love about it is it always just seems kind of like a tantrum you know this was a five four goal obviously things weren't going well. San Jose, when I got, when, when he kind of sort of came at me, when there were four refs in there, it was, you know, he was getting pulled. It just is always, you know, it's not, it's not like a genuine, I got bumped or I didn't think something was right or I was angry. It's just, it always seems to be this kind of throwing a little tantrum because things aren't going well in the game. Is there, I just um, wish they would have let him uh, go. Amongst- <laughs> well, you know, it's it's funny I mean, you mention that because I was mentioning off, off the top of the show that the one villain through all of this might be David Breezebois, who is the official, who was the linesman yeah, that was, that was yeah. holding Bennington and trying to keep Mark no, yeah. away. It's like, g- get out of the way. Just let him go. Absolutely. And, and you know, the problem is the linesman's job. Like, once he, once he has them and is holding him, then, you know, his job is not to let him go. Uh, but it always kind of blew my mind a little bit, even back, you know, back in my junior days and earlier on, how they were so uh, against the goalies fighting. They'd do everything they could to get in between the goalies, and we're the only ones that aren't going to hurt each other, for the most part. <laughs> you know, there's been a, been a few cycles yeah. that have come through, but like for the most part, I mean, we got all the equipment on. We're not usually built like Ryan Reeves or yeah. you know some of these big dudes and like we're the ones that aren't really going to get hurt so why are they so <laughs> intent on not letting the guys fight um i don't have an answer for that i mean there have been some goaltenders that we've seen i mean like you know ray emery would fight players like the, the ray players, emery but Josh no, Brad, not, and not yeah, just like players the, not players like tough, tough guys. guys like fighters the uh, I don't know if you ever saw the uh, the Ray Emery Josh Gratton fight, but like, in, that's, was that that's in, one for in the Philadelphia? Ages. Was that the in the in American League fight? Was that the was American, American League, League scrap? When and was, was yeah, that's when he was playing for Binghamton. And was uh, was was Gratton on the um, on the Phantoms? I feel like I can remember this clip. He would have been. He would have. It was a phantom. It was a, a phantom senators game. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was. It was right in front of the net. Like they, there was. There was a guy. Yeah. And it just. Um. Oh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna blank on his name here. Oh no. Uh. Greg Scott. So Greg Scott was a netminder 
in the OHL who might have been, he fought like tough guys like Tom Sullivan and stuff. Like he might have been, you know, the biggest enforcer in, in the OHL. He played Niagara Falls um, on a pretty tough <laughs> yep. team. And he may have been like the toughest guy in the league. I'm not sure what ever became of, of Greg Scott, but like we've seen tough goaltenders before. I don't know that I'd say that Jordan Bennington is tough as much as he seems to be game, but I'm like you. Like I'm just at the point now where it's let's just let's let's just see. Like get out of the way, yep. let him get it out of his system. He fought Phoenix Copley in the American League a million years ago. Um I, I wonder because you're part of the fraternity, is there like a conversation amongst other goalies in the NHL, which is like, um, hey, Kachetkov in Carolina or hey, Copley in L.A. or, you know, whomever, uh, if you get a chance to get a lick in, like fill your boots. And maybe Flurry was, you know, the the next one who drew the card. And he said, OK, I'm going to I'm going to try to get a couple licks in here. Like amongst goaltenders, yeah, well, is I there mean- a feeling that one of us one of us is going to fight this guy? I mean, I'm not really sure. The the thing is, I mean, our job is extremely difficult as it is, so we don't we don't exactly enter games um, getting ready f- to fight, <laughs> unless that that you know that's yeah. the thing to me. Like I was saying before, right? Is like you know fights like goalie fights, or if a guy gets gets fired up and it's genuine and it comes, like things happen. I mean, I've lost my mind in games over certain things, but it's like it happens in the moment, and to me this just kind of looks like a little bit of a, like a, a little bit of a, I feel bad saying this. Cause like I said, I respect Binner as a goalie. He's a great goalie, uh, but these just kind of seem like toddler tantrums a little bit. It's always, it's always the same scenario that it comes up. It's the game's not going well. He's getting scored on. They're losing. And he kind of always throws his tantrum. I mean, most like a lot of the time it kind of comes out of nowhere. I mean, you watched that clip last night. That was like, like Hartsy did nothing. He 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 went <laughs> through. Bump. He tried he tried to avoid yeah. him. It was like a bump to the back of the legs. But guess what? It was the fifth goal halfway through the game, and the tantrum gets thrown. And I think there. I think the the hearing he's going to have is for the blocker that he threw to to Hartman's face. Yeah. Because um, that actually looked yes. like a legitimate blow there. It looked like he, uh, like the we'll one against Carlson, but he actually followed through. But I mean, I get, I, I like I said, I was, I was, uh, I could get fired up pretty easily when I played, but it was, it was usually, you know, <laughs> circumstantial. If someone bumped me and or I didn't think something was right, and to me, it just seems like this constant narrative of you're losing or you're getting scored on. You don't really feel like playing the game anymore, and so you're gonna put on a show. It's your way to get a match. Your way to get a match. Uh, with Devin Dubnik from the NHL Network, uh, former NHL net and minder, now analyst with NHL Net. Uh, well, let me let me get your thoughts on Minnesota, one of your former teams as well. And they like they've been real impressive as of late. Like seven zero and three in their last ten. They put up an eight spot against St. Louis last night. Um, I really like the way Bill Guerin's constructed this team. It's a combination of skill and toughness. I should mention, like they put up an eight spot without Kaprizov in the lineup last night. Like that's that that's real impressive. Well, and five, and, at, and five know, in their of, first game, right? Five in their first yep. game without them as well. Yep. Yeah. No, it's it's it, it really is impressive. Like I like I like the group that Garen's put together here. Like as a as an ex Minnesota Wild, like when you look at Minnesota now, what goes through your mind? 
So yeah, I was I was hit and miss on them for for a lot of the year. I thought they were you know I thought they were a good team, but I I think that kind of felt like expectations were super high um, after last year, and and maybe should be toned down a little bit because I just think guys had career years that just aren't going to happen over and over. You look at like Hartman and and you know just down the lineup, Felino, Eric Snack. These guys are great players, but like they're not going to put that up that. Uh, offensive year every year and then they were kind of streaky this year and, and the thing I I feel like they're just really coming into their own right now and I was worried to be honest um, when Kaprizov went down because I, I thought this was one yeah. team if you look at obviously the East the East loaded up at the trade deadline yeah. so I mean you look at you look at some of these teams Boston Toronto Tampa, New York, these teams that loaded up where it's like there's not a te- there's not a single team that's as vulnerable as Minnesota if Kaprizov goes down. Because sure. all these teams have, you know, their top six are, are superstars. And I'm thinking to myself, if they lose Kaprizov, they're, they're going to be screwed. And yet they lose Kaprizov and they've put up, I mean, how many games has it been? Is it two or and they're, you know, they've scored more goals without him, which, you know, it's obviously you don't, <laughs> you need Kaprizov in your lineup. He's not a, he's certainly not dead weight like Everson joked about. But um, I just think I love that they, they have come into their defensive, like their goaltending is phenomenal. I think between Gustafson, I spoke about him at the start of the year, fantastic pickup, and he's really come in. You know, borderline starter right now, um, and then you got Flurry, who's everything you'd ever ask for. The you know the best teammate, and whether he's starting or ready to come in or whatever it is, I really like that back end. And you know they're 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 winning games one nothing or two to one or you know eight five, and that's just a, a team that that is comfortable winning in really any way and. And a little surprised with the scoring after Kaprizov went out, but I think they're in a really good spot right now. Real good team. I, I want to ask you more about Philip Gustafson because there's always, like every season there's the unreported story, the story that doesn't get enough headlines. And I know that Kaprizov takes a lot of the oxygen in Minnesota, understandably. Um, but Philip Gustafson, very quietly, has been one of the best stories in the NHL. 931 save percentage, 17-8 uh, record. I mean, he has been phenomenal for this team. Like, not just good, but, you know, with a 931 save percentage, when the league average is, is what, Devin? I think it's like 910 or, or, or 912, something like that. Like, this is elite-level goaltending that Gustafson has given the Minnesota Wild for 30-plus games. Yeah, and let's not forget the fact that uh, his first, I don't know, four or five games were disastrous for when you consider it stats-wise. So he's got he's got what he's got, and he had to come <laughs> back from, you know, a 780 or whatever it was at the start. Um, but I just – I didn't know too much about him. Um, only just watching the little bit that I'd seen in Ottawa, I know he came – from Pittsburgh, I know he's a he's a higher draft pick in Pittsburgh. Came over to yep. Ottawa, and I was really impressed with him uh, on a bad team. I mean, Ottawa was a bad team, and when he went in there, noticeably not a bigger guy, but very much in control. Almost, 
you know, surprisingly uh, conservative for a small guy. And I was always really impressed with him playing in Ottawa. And I remember thinking when, when Billy Guerin made the trade, which in that situation with Talbot, the trade kind of had to happen. The drama went out and you had to move him. And, and to get Gustafson back, I thought was a great pickup. And I felt bad for him at the start of the year because he never want to come to a new team and especially in a, you know, he, I mean, he was in Ottawa, but coming to Minnesota, there's a lot of expectations, a lot of eyes on you. You got traded for Talbot and, you know, there's a lot of expectations and it's always, you always feel bad for a guy when he comes in and, and things don't go well right away. And it wasn't just him. It was the team in general. I mean, things weren't going well with Flurry either, but um, I don't know. I, I, I can't say, you know, I don't know if, if I would have told you to have a 931, but this is certainly more what I expected <laughs> out of him um, rather than the other side of it. With Devin Dubnik. Um, Devin, who are who are some of the teams? I'm always curious from a goaltending point of view, and, and maybe a default to, you know, uh, I want to watch the Islanders because I love Sorokin, or I'm fascinated with the Bruins because of the season that Allmark is having. But are there one or two teams... Now, when you're flipping around on a night where there's, you know, a dozen games or 11 games, uh, are there a couple of teams that are can't miss TV or must watch TV for you? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm still like, I'm still, I'm still hooked on Colorado. I think they're always, yeah, it's just to me this year they've, they, they've, like I always said, they're going to be there, and they obviously are there. Um, they're a different team without Landeskog. I hope. I hope for that, their sake that he's back and healthy eventually. Um, but that's always a team that just is very exciting to watch. Um, I love uh, Toronto's always fun as well. Carolina, New Jersey. I mean, there's so many good, there's so many good teams to watch. Um, I love the the pickup of Jonathan Quick by Vegas. Um, I think that, you know they had oh boy they had injuries obviously to to. Yep. Thompson, but I mean, well, okay, that was a roundabout trade, obviously. But I, I think this is a guy like this, like this is a veteran guy. I mean, look what he's done since he's come in. I don't care about his numbers, but all he's done is win since he's been there. And this is a guy that could get him over the hump in the playoffs just with his experience. And the guy can still play. So I don't know. I mean, I'm going down the list right now. I just think this is the the league's in in great shape, and there's a lot of great storylines and good teams to watch. I'm I'm with you on on Jonathan Quick. Uh, I know it hasn't been the best of all possible seasons. Like the, the Jonathan Quick that we saw in in 2012, that guy's not coming back. Okay, we all understand. No, he's, I but, mean he's 38 years um, old, right? Well, that's it. But I mean, like he looks so good in Vegas. And like, listen, you know, you played in the NHL. You know, you know how different ways to motivate an athlete. And the fact that Quick didn't see this trade coming and was told right when he got off the ice and had to fly back with Los Angeles, which, you know, with a group of, you know, at that point, former teammates as he was doing the shuffle to Columbus and then to Vegas. Um, I think we're all just dying now for a Vegas LA Kings matchup somewhere in the playoffs. Like who doesn't want to see the, the revenge tour by Jonathan quick. Yeah, absolutely. And I just think, I still think he has a, a ton of game left. He's got a ton of game and Vegas is a great team. 
And, you know, no no uh, knock in what the goalies have done in Vegas with, with Thompson and Aiden Hill and Brassois when he's been healthy. But, you know, this is this is such a just a great guy to have there. And if he gets rolling, uh, there's no, yeah. I mean, just watching him there, like there's no reason he can't take him to the house. And like you said, I mean, so what a what a better way to do it than get a get a you know a second or third round <laughs> matchup uh, against against LA. And you know, it's it's like it's tough sometimes. You you look at his runs in LA. He's obviously beloved, and he like when it starts to drop off, he hasn't been playing, and that that thought and expectation of of those Stanley Cup runs and everything he done, it just kind of hangs there. And maybe it's not the worst thing that he got out of there, not because not he wanted to be out of there, but just a breath of fresh air because he can still play. And Vegas is a really yeah. good hockey team. So you're going to see, I think you're going to see some, some special things out of him. It might be fun to watch this run. Absolutely. Um, we're up against it. Devin, thanks so much for stopping by. Continued success uh, in career number two with the NHL Network. Always look forward to uh, chatting with you and catching up. You be well. well. We'll ring back soon. Awesome. Sounds good. Good talking to you. Uh, Devin Dubnik, NHL Network analyst, former NHL netminder, talking about, amongst other things, Jordan Bennington, the villain of the NHL. Uh, We're going to hit pause, uh, and we're going to come back. On the other side, you'll hear from Philadelphia Flyers interim general manager, um, Daniel Briere, who was uh, hired in that capacity uh, six days ago, and it's been a whirlwind, which include, uh, for him, a couple of press conferences um, and a trip to Florida at the general manager's meetings and a whole bunch of questions around the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, Danny Briere in moments. Merrick's show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360. Keep it here. Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back for the program. Standing by for Daniel Breer, the uh, interim general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers. A reminder, a couple of games on the go around the NHL this evening, which you can watch on one of our various networks. Uh, 7 o'clock Eastern, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Who are the Pittsburgh Penguins? Pittsburgh Penguins facing off against the New York Rangers. Maybe we ask the same question about New York right now. Who are these two teams? Uh, Penguins and the Rangers tonight, 7 o'clock Eastern. Watch it on Sportsnet 360, East Ontario and Pacific. There's some doozies tonight. I mentioned the Oilers and the Stars. Watch that one, 9 o'clock Eastern on Sportsnet West. The Vegas Golden Knights taking on the Calgary Flames. Uh, Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet 1 later on Pacific. Uh, The Vancouver Canucks and the Arizona Coyotes. You can watch that one starting at 10 uh, o'clock Eastern. A couple of doozies early as well. I mentioned the uh, the Rangers and the Penguins. Throw the Devils and the Lightning into that combination as well, into that mix. Um, this is uh, the second time these two teams have met this season, or uh, have met this week, rather. Um, and it's interesting because both games are being played at the Prudential Center, and the point that I was making on Monday, was it Monday? Was it Tuesday? All the days run together. When these two teams first met this week, we thought we were getting more of these types of scenarios where if you're going in to play a team once, you're also going in to play a team 
twice. We thought this would be the COVID reflection of what the new schedule was going to look like, saving on wear and tear, saving money, etc., reduced travel, all those things associated with it. We thought the NHL schedule was going to was going to reflect that more, that that was going to be one of the things that carried over from the COVID seasons uh, with, you know, reduced travel and, you know, teams trying to maximize and stretch the dollars as much as possible um, by doing more two shots instead of just going in for one. Anyhow, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning facing off against the New Jersey Devils one more time at the Prudential Center. And then in a few more days, they'll face off against each other again, this time in Tampa, uh, but this one should be a real good one. Two of the top teams in the Eastern Conference, Tampa Bay Lightning and the New Jersey Devils, Winnipeg Jets and the Boston Bruins. I know the Bruins have hit a little bit of a speed wobble right now. Ditto Winnipeg Jets. That's what makes this one so intriguing. And this road trip, eh, let's just say, has not gone swimmingly for the Boston Bruins. Pause on that. Um, our feature guest this hour is the interim general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers. He's Daniel Briere, and he joins me now. Danny, thanks so much for for doing this how has your whirlwind week been hi <laughs> jeff i'm doing good thank you it's uh it's been pretty hectic uh but uh so exciting at the same time uh, it's, it's an honor to be part of this select group uh of general managers i had the chance to uh go to my first uh, gm meetings and down in florida and at first when when they told me I had to go, it was uh, it was like what? I thought I was just gonna <laughs> talk to my staff and get to meet everybody first. And no, I had to uh, to go down to Florida. But it was uh, it was a good thing looking back, uh, having a chance to meet all the other GMs face to face, you know, and kind of get my first time out of the way. I'm curious about that. As you're, you know, this is your. I mean, you got the job on Friday, and here you are in Florida, a scant few days later, your first general manager's meeting. Um, what is that like for quote unquote the rookie? Do you go to listen? Do you go to participate? I know sometimes you walk into situations where you say, uh, "I'm going to use two ears and you know not the the one mouth that I have." Like, what's your approach at your first GM's meeting, albeit one that you were kind of rushed into? Yeah, I, um, first of all, I have to say, I, I was so impressed with uh, the GMs there, uh, with, uh, you know, making me feel welcome, coming out of their way to, to talk to me. Um, it, it was it was really very special. Um, I, I didn't quite expect that. Um, I thought, you know, a couple guys that you know maybe come over, but the guys would go out of their way to give you a piece of advice uh, here and there on how to – you know, conduct yourself to talk to uh, how to prepare. It, it was it was really cool that way. So I gained a lot of respect for for all of them, even more than I already had. Um, but I've I've also very aware that you know you you got to learn and got to know where you you belong and your spot. Um, you know, so I kind of stayed in the back, try to take it all in. It was my first meeting, so I didn't know how all of that worked. Um, you know, but at least the ice is broken now, and I, I'm sure I'm going to feel more comfortable mm. the next time around. Uh, are you uh, are you looking forward to your first phone call making a trade? I can recall talking to Brian <laughs> Burke, and he talked about he had made a a small deal. Um, I think it might have been the Nikiprio deal would have been Berkey's first, but then I remember talking to him about uh, when he traded Bobby Holik. 
and he made the Bobby Holik deal, and he said, "If I felt really lonely, uh, he said it was just him and his phone in his office, and he picked up the phone to make the, the call to make the trade, and then he hung up, and he walked around the office, and then tried to phone again, and then hung up right away because like, he had never done this before. Um, what's yeah. that experience going to be like for you? Have you thought about what, <laughs> what, what those conversations will be like for you? Not, not yet. And, and luckily I, I don't have to, uh, I guess, deal with that for another few months. Um, the trade right. deadline just passed. I guess we, uh, we can't make deals until the season is over for the, the team is not making a playoffs and then wait for the other teams to finish the, the playoffs. I, I would expect the next few deals to be made closer to the draft. So I have a little bit of time. So I haven't spent uh, much energy trying to think about it for, uh, for now. So no seeds planted in Florida that we could see watered come draft time? Oh, I didn't. I didn't say that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, it, like I said, it's, it's kind of what I said earlier, you know, just yeah. getting to know the guys uh, a little better. Um, you know, and, and it, it was cool how there's, there's no awkwardness. Um, guys realize they, they have a, a job to do, uh, but at the same time that we're, we're all in the same boat together, and there's so very few of us that uh, you try to help each other out when you can. Uh, with Daniel Briere, the interim general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers, when you um, when you think about what you want this Philadelphia Flyers team to look like, what goes through your mind? And I'll I'll try to I'll, I'll bias the jury here by saying. You know, when I look at a team like the Minnesota Wild, for example, what Bill Guerin is building, which is a combination of skill and toughness, etc., I say to myself, it kind of looks like a Philadelphia Flyers-style team. When you put together in your mind what you want the Philadelphia Flyers to look like, to play like, to be like, what type of team is it? Um, what I picture is, you know, uh, a playoff team that can play uh, a fast game, a physical game, um, a skill game, obviously. And then those are kind of all the attributes that everybody wants in every player. Um, you know, the reality is, you know, those players are tough to find. Um, but those uh, traits are, are certainly going to be uh, very important moving forward. I think character uh, is a thing that we've, probably focused on a little bit more this year, uh, trying to bring and, and find the culture back that we had lost the last few years. Uh, John Tortorella has been, uh, has been great at that. I think he's starting to give us uh, an identity uh, this season that we had lost. Um, you know, so I, I would say at the moment it's kind of building on that and uh, eventually kind of bring more speed and skill to, uh, to our lineup. Yeah, I am curious about about John Tortorella through all of this here because Philadelphia Flyers fans uh, seem to really love uh, John Tortorella, and you know there's a there's a great old story when when John was an assistant with the Buffalo Sabers, um, coaching uh, a, a game at the Spectrum Buffalo in Philadelphia. He got into it with a fan, and at the end of the period, turned around to to jaw at the fan, and his tie went over the glass, and the the fan actually grabbed his tie and put his feet up on the glass and started pulling hard and 
you know, John was like ready to go out. He's ready to pass out. And Jim Pizzatelli came in with a pair of scissors and cut the tie and saved John. And he's gone from the guy who almost got choked out in Philadelphia to being one of the most beloved, you know, uh, bench bosses, you know, this side of this side of Fred Shiro. Can you explain the John Tortorella phenomenon in Philadelphia for us? Well, I, I, I think he's, he's, it's almost as if his personality makes it feel like he's one of theirs. Um, you know, we all know the, the, the Philadelphia fan base uh, is very passionate, and they want people that care, that care about their the, the team, the team they're putting on the ice. Um, you know, and, and John exudes that. He's, you know, exactly um, that. So it's, it's pretty cool to see the relationship. I think... Um, the fans also realize, uh, and they can see, even though a record doesn't show that, I think they can see that we're, we're trending in, in the right direction as far as uh, bringing a culture back and you know being uh, a more competitive team than, than we've been the, the last couple of years. So they respect that. Look, it's, it's, it's not perfect, and we know we have a long ways to go, but slowly um, it feels like it's going, uh, starting to go in the right direction, I would say. What is the um, when you look at the types of players um, that you want on this team? What's the hardest element to acquire, whether it's by draft or trade or waivers or or whatever? Um, is it skill? Is it toughness? Is it like what? What is the hardest thing for a team to acquire in your estimation? It seems it's always the the thing you don't have. So if you you don't have speed, it's speed. If you don't have skill, it's skill. Uh, You know, I I think in in our case, you know, we haven't shied away. Um, You know, moving forward, we'd like to bring more skill to to our lineup. Um, You know, scoring more goals. We've seen, you know, in the second half of the season, scoring goals has been been more difficult for us, uh, you know, as the game is tightening up and teams are – fighting uh, to secure a spot in the playoffs. It's, it's gone uh, really dry at times for us. So um, creating offense, uh, the, the skill work is, you know, an area that we'll probably have to pay attention to uh, moving forward. You know, one of the things about the, um, the Flyers historically is, you know, we've seen a lot, and this is, Flyers aren't the only team to do this, but for the sake of this conversation, We've seen a lot of players, maybe rushed is too strong a word, but I'll use it anyway, kind of rushed into the NHL. Players that needed more time to to ripen in the American League um, because they were high picks or whatever tended to get moved into the NHL quickly. Um, The High Valley, uh, Ian LaPerriere is a long-time um, friend of yours, and I believe you're you know, both involved in the uh, uh, in the Blainville Bobrian franchise and the Q as well. Um, how important as you as you blue sky how this team is going to get where you want them to go? How do you see the American Hockey League affiliate fitting in? I, I think it's going to be a key, especially more so uh, the next probably three years for us as we're. We're rebuilding um, and, and, you know, using a lot of draft picks, using a lot of young players. Um, the best example for me was, was Cam York this year. Um, I remember uh, a lot of experts, a lot of fans freaking out when we send uh, Cam back to the American League early in the year. But him going there, playing 25 minutes a night, playing on the first 
power play, the first PK unit, five on five against the top players, um, really developed his, his game to uh, a different level. Now he's, you know, he's on our, our top four here in Philadelphia. Uh, his game is going in the right direction. So this really was eye-opening for, for all of us to see um, how benefiting it was for him to return and spend a couple months in the minors. I'm, I'm a big, personally, I'm a big uh, believer of, of development and having guys push their games to the limit before they're thrust in, into the NHL. You know, there's always exceptions to the rules. Um, you know, but for the most part, I think we're we're going to see a lot of our guys earn their stripes, push the limit uh, in their game in the minors. Um, having, you know, Ian Laperriere, uh, Jason Smith, Riley Armstrong there uh, for their their development also makes me feel better uh, about where they're going. There's no doubt about that. How good is Sammy Erson right now? And how good do you think he can be? Because the emergence of this net miner gives you a lot of options here. How good can this guy yeah, be? Yeah, yeah. Well, we're I think we're all wondering how good he can he can get to. Um, it's it's really exciting. Um, you know, uh, the history of the Flyers. You know, since uh, Ron Hextall uh, has left, it's it's been tough uh, as far as goaltending. Um, now we have. You know, some, some good ones, uh, good ones. Uh, Carter Hart uh, is turning into a great goaltender. Um, you know, Felix Sandstrom this year, even though we, he's having a hard time buying a win, uh, has played really good hockey and he's still fairly young. Uh, Sammy Harrison now, his development, is, uh, you know, if it wasn't that we want him to play almost every night, um, you know, he'd probably be in the NHL as well. And we have more coming down the ranks that we've drafted. So it's really exciting to uh, to, to see the goaltending in, in the Flyers um, system coming together like that. So um, big plans moving forward with uh, with Sam Erson. We, we don't know how good he's going to get, but it, he's been super impressive this year. When, when you're putting this team, I'm going to circle back to John, John Tortorella question here. When you're when you're putting together this team, whether you're drafting, whether you're trading, whatever, um, how much in the back of your mind are you thinking, is this a John Tortorella type player? And I'll, I'll use one example where <laughs> I'm totally wrong. You know, the Claude Giroux trade last year when, you know, Owen Tippett was part of it, I think a lot of us said, uh-oh, I'm not sure this is going to work. I'm not sure that John yeah. Tortorella plus Owen Tippett is necessarily a good combination, but it's been great. Yeah. Like I've been like a lot yeah. of us, and I'll and, put my hand up too, completely completely wrong about it. So do you even consider whether a player is a quote-unquote John Tortorella type when you're making your decisions? Well, we did, and we, and we did that last summer. And, you know, we knew coming in there's, that there was going to be casualties. Um, some guys would not be able to – uh, to play under uh, a demanding coach like John. Uh, let's face it, he's, he's demanding on his player. He's fair, he's honest, um, and, and you know uh, that he's going to get the best. But some guys just crumble under, under that pressure. They can't take it. Um, and, you know, the, the question marks that we had last year, one of them was uh, Owen Tippett. Um, and, and to see him blossom uh, under, under John, Really, you know, brought us back to think to, to be, think about being careful when when we assess and we think that a certain player won't be able to thrive because we could be completely wrong. I, I would say it's probably the same thing in the case of uh, Morgan Frost. We we didn't think, 
you know, Morgan being a, a skilled player um, would thrive under John, and, and he's turning him into a, a great sentiment for us this year uh, by constantly, you know, challenging him to, to push himself and to get better. So, you know, that's one thing I'm learning this year is we have to be careful when, when we assume that uh, a player could or not play against uh, under John Tortorella because we could, could completely be flat out wrong. And um, if we had listened to our instincts that, you know, Owen Tippett or Morgan Frost uh, could not play under John and try to move them, uh, we'd be uh, we would, we'd be left with two big holes in, in our lineup uh, up front. So um, that was a good lesson for me to, to learn this year. And John has been impressive in getting the best out of some of the players. Cam York is another example on on defense. Uh, he's, he's thrived. And we have the impression sometimes that the John doesn't like skill players, um, you know, and, and, and that's not fair at all. Um, he wants players to make plays. He wants them to, to try things. Um, and that's, you know, that's another thing that I even myself kind of realized with John. He, he actually likes skills and he wants his players to, uh, to obviously play the right way, but not be afraid to, to, make, uh, to make plays. Um, in the brief couple of moments I have left with you here, I, I want to ask you about, in, in sports, you can sell one of two things. You can sell wins or you can sell hope. And I think Philadelphia Flyers fans look at a player like Cutter Goche and say, that's hope right there. Um, when do you expect him in your lineup? Um, it's a little too early to tell. Um, you know, we're we're going to have some some decisions to make, some talks with him too, because we're not the only one about um, what he, he wants to do uh, next year. Um, again, you know, we're, um, we're going to evaluate where he's at in his development. And, um, you know, maybe he's with the Flyers next year. Maybe he starts in the minors. Maybe he goes back to school. So there's, there's still um, many options there for him. I, I would say in, mm. you know, two years, uh, not next season, but the following season, I would expect him to be on, on the Flyers. Now next season will kind of adjust along the way. Uh, the most important part I can tell you with him is, we're going to make sure he develops. Like I, I don't want him sitting uh, on the bench playing, you know, eight minutes a night either uh, for his own development. He's obviously a, a key part of our future, and we have to make sure that we prepare him not to be the best player he can be next year, but in year, you know, five to ten from now. Uh, 30 seconds. Do you have a lucky charm for May the 8th? <laughs> Sorry, for what? For May the 8th, charm. Draft Lottery Day. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I, I haven't thought about it. No, yet. Not yet, but I'll find something, believe me. <laughs> Four-leaf clover, lucky loony, something like that. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll let you go on that one. Um, I know it's still not even a week. Um, congratulations on, on the nod, uh, interim general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers. We'll check back soon. Thanks so much for this, Danny. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Daniel Breer is the interim general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, this is a team, like as I was mentioning, selling wins or selling hope. And right now, um, the Philadelphia Flyers, again, I, I can't stress this point enough. Like for the first time, although they kind of did the beginnings of a softer rebuild under Ron Hextall, but then suddenly stopped. But it seems as if the first time in Philadelphia Flyers history, going back to 
when this was a baby franchise in 1967 and six turned into 12 around the NHL. And the Flyers won two cups in 74, 75. Um, this is the first time they're going through this. This is the first time they're really committed. It seems, again, it seems that if the Philadelphia, that the Philadelphia Flyers are going through any type of sophisticated rebuild. This has never been a team that's retreated at all. It's always been a team that has moved forward. But again, it's a team that as much as they have always tried to move forward, sometimes it's two steps forward and then three steps back. And now they've gotten themselves to a place where maybe you say there's no choice. You can't just keep plugging holes. Eventually, you have to say, we need to rebuild the foundation of this franchise. And it seems very much uh, that that's what Philadelphia is going to do under the charge of Daniel Briere. Uh, thanks to Mike Zeisberger from NHL.com. Thanks to Devin Dubnik from the NHL Network. And thank you to Daniel Briere, the interim general manager of the Philadelphia, Philadelphia Flyers. General Nick Lance Kennedy, Matt Marchese, the real brains and looks behind this operation. I just sit here for a couple of hours and try to say things that sound remotely coherent. I hope I succeeded. Back to try it again tomorrow.